And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Jesus had just been preaching on the most solemn and weighty matters imaginable. He said that rather than fearing man who can only harm or even kill the body, uh, we should fear God who can kill the body and cast the soul in hell. All right, so we move from temporal, killing our body, to eternal, casting soul in hell. He stressed that whoever confesses the Son of Man here on earth, Jesus will confess them before the angels of God in heaven. He had warned against the unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He's talking about heaven and hell. These are serious matters. And you would think that everybody in the audience, the crowd there that he was preaching to, would have been tracking with him on these eternally vital matters. But just then, a man in the crowd, he spoke up and he revealed that he hadn't been listening to Jesus' sermon at all. Uh, you know, I did find out through some research that we have the cap most people have the capability of listening to about three or four times as fast as the normal person talks. So what does that mean? That means while I'm speaking, you've got plenty of mind power to be thinking about other things. All right? It's, it's just the way God made us. Uh, but here, this fella, he pipes up and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, if I had been Jesus, I'd been thinking, has this guy been listening to my sermon at all? Uh, the man was consumed with this problem, and he had come to try to get Jesus to solve the problem. He wasn't there to have Jesus change his heart. He wanted his problem fixed without confronting some deeper issues of sin that are in his heart. Now, in his mind, his problem was his greedy brother who wasn't giving him his fair share of the inheritance. Now, surely, would Jesus would see the injustice of this situation and he would right the wrong. But instead, the man got something that he hadn't counted on. Jesus saw that his words revealed his heart. Now, the man's heart problem was not his brother's greed. It was his own greed. Now, yes, the brother was probably also greedy, and Jesus' parable was not just directed to that man, but to them, meaning the first brother who spoke, and the crowd as well. But this man's focus was on getting what he wanted in this world. And Jesus shows him that, uh, that his true need was to be ready for the next world. So the Lord refused to take the role of judge between the man and his brother. Instead, he showed the man how to be really rich, truly rich, how to be rich towards God. Now the fact is, to be really rich, we must be rich towards God. Now when we talk about rich, there are obviously levels of rich. Uh, Jeff Bezos right now is, is considered the richest man in the world. I don't know what he's at now. Uh, he divorced his wife and went from 165 million down to about 105 million, which put him in second place for just a little bit. But because of everything COVID, Amazon has shot through the roof. And I don't know what he's worth now. It was up to about 170, 180 billion dollars. All right. So you got that type of rich. That's probably 
you know, it's out of the reach of seven point something billion people. There's only one of them, right? Now, you've got others that are really rich. But I want you to be thinking in terms like that in some of the stuff that Jesus says here. Now, the fact is, to be rich, to be really rich, truly rich, you have to be rich towards God. First, Jesus issued a pretty strong warning against greed. He said, beware and be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Think of Jeff Bezos, $180 billion at his disposal. And God says, nah, that's not what life consists of. It does not consist of his possessions. Let's face it, the man can have anything he wants. And God says, that's not it. Then he told a parable to just really drive home the point. Jesus' warning indicates that we need to be uh, constantly vigilant to keep this enemy of our soul at bay. And it's not going to happen accidentally. If we don't post a guard all day, every day, greed will creep in unawares and get a stranglehold on your life. And Jesus here answers a vital question, how can we invest our lives wisely so as to be rich towards God? That's the only rich that will last. Well, first, we all have a choice about how to invest our lives. We have a choice. Now, the choice simply put is greed or God. Greed or God. Now, many are going to say, well, wait a minute, that's a little bit too black and white. Uh, life isn't that neatly divided into separate categories. Isn't it more realistic to say that we can serve God and try to get rich as well? But Jesus draw, drew the line in the sand rather forcefully in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. He didn't say you shouldn't. He said you cannot. It's an impossibility to serve both masters at the same time. You have to choose one or the other. Now in Mark 4, 19, Jesus says the thorns that gradually grow up and choke out the word in somebody's life, he calls them the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. That's greed. Now, greed often isn't a deliberate choice where we just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to become a materialistic hedonist and try to get all the money and all the possessions I can. That's going to be the goal of my life. No, usually it creeps up around us without us even realizing it. It gets a slow stranglehold on our life, kind of like thorns growing up around a healthy plant. So how can we determine if we are actually falling into the sin of greed? Well, I have a little test for you. It's just five questions. Okay, question one. Do my thoughts more often run after material things than after God himself? If I'm often thinking about that new car or the nicer home or the better computer and I seldom think about how I can know God better, guess what? I'm greedy. Question two, do I, do I ever compromise godly character in pursuit of material gain? If I sometimes cheat or lie or steal to get ahead financially or to avoid loss, I'm being greedy. If I'm willing to shred relationships or to take advantage of another person for financial gain, then I'm being greedy. Question three, 
Do I enjoy material things more than I enjoy knowing God? If my happiness soars when I get a new car, but I'm bored by the things of God, then I'm greedy. If I rejoice when I win a raffle or a door prize, but I yawn when I hear about somebody accepting the Lord, guess what? I'm greedy. Question four, how do I respond when I lose material things? When the stock market drops, do I fall apart emotionally? If I get robbed or lose some of my possessions or even all of them in a fire, does it devastate me? Now, I'm not saying that we should not be, um, that, or that we should be stoical about such losses. We're all going to experience a little grief, a little sadness when we lose things. But if it completely wipes us out, then we're probably too attached to this world and its goods. I remember my pastor uh, at Celebration who just died two or three months ago. We went to his funeral over in Jacksonville. Um, doesn't matter what was going on, he'd say, Ruthie still loves me and God is seated on the throne. That's the two things. God was still seated on the throne and Ruthie, Ruthie his wife, still loved him. Doesn't, doesn't matter what else happens. God's in control. He'll take care of it. Question five. What would I do if I suddenly came into a fortune? Now, I presume that none of you played a lottery, but what about if you won the, uh, what's it called, Reader's Digest sweepstakes? What if a distant relative died and you inherited a large sum of money? Would your first thought be, well, now I can get that better house or car or boat. Now I can take that worldwide vacation that I've always wanted to take. Or would you think, Man, now I can support thousands of missionaries. Now, thousands, maybe millions of people can hear about Christ because he's given me the resources to advance his kingdom. Now, some may be thinking, what's the big deal with greed? What's the problem? We all know that it's wrong to live for things and to really grasp after them, say, like Scrooge. The success, after all, is the American way, is it not? As long as we're not extreme about it, about it, can't we pursue the nicer things in life? Well, our text reveals three problems, if you will, with greed. Number one, greed ignores the lordship of Christ over everything. The rich man in the parable, he saw himself as the owner of all that he had, did you notice the prominence, prominence of the first-person pronoun in his little speech? Six, ten, six times he says, I, with no regard for God whatsoever. He refers to my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, and most frightening of all, my soul. He would have been in harmony with the proud and defiant words of William Henley's Invictus. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. But you know what? The Bible tells us something different. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. God rightfully owns the whole works. If he lets us use any of it, he still retains that ownership and we will give account to him of how we used it as stewards. Our lives are not our own. Paul tells us we've been bought with a price. Now, if he's given you health, praise God, you're gonna give an account to him one day of how you manage your healthy body. 
If he's given you intelligence, he's going to demand an account of how you used it for his purposes. If he entrusts money and material possessions to you, someday you will answer for how you invested that, what he has given you in light of eternity. Now the greedy man, he's proud. If you ask this man, how did you get all this wealth? He would have answered, I got it all by hard work. I used my head and of course I had a little luck from the weather. But he would not have acknowledged God's grace as the source of it. The greedy man is self-sufficient. His confidence was in his many barns of produce, not in God's care. The greedy man is his own Lord. He asks himself, what shall I do? And he proudly declares, this is what I shall do. He doesn't ask, Lord, what would you have me do? Well, the second problem with greed is it ignores the priority of relationships over riches. You don't have to read between the lines to see that the first man and his brother were not the best of buddies at this point. <laughs> the money had come between them. How many families have been divided over the settling of the family estate? Brothers and sisters won't speak to each other because they're at war over possessions that belonged or money that belonged to the parents. Now, in this case, I presume that the man bringing the complaint had some justification for his case. His bro brother probably had wronged him. But Jesus confronted the first man with his own greed. The Bible's clear that the number one priority is to love God, and number two is to love our neighbor as we do ourselves. Well, our love of money, our love of things, is just a manifestation of our love of selves more than the love of God and the love of neighbor. Well, the third problem with greed is it ignores the shortness of life and the fact of eternity. The rich man, he made a deliberate, thought-out decision, but he left one critical factor out, and that is eternity. He had his bases covered for many years on the earth, but not for eternity in heaven. Alexander McLaren puts it, the goods may last, but will he? Now, of course, he had guaranteed that even the goods would last. Uh, his barns could have been hit by lightning and burned to the ground that very evening. Thieves or an invading army could, could have come and taken it from him. Rats could have eaten and polluted his storehouses. You know, nothing in life is guaranteed except death and taxes. You know, you know that one. Well, the rich man thought that he was being prudent, that he was being smart. He had thought matters through carefully, but God bluntly calls him a fool. The fool thinks about life, but he doesn't include God and judgment and eternity. So at death, the fool and his riches are parted for all eternity. And that's what I was thinking about Jeff Bezos. Man's on top of the world financially, is he going to take anything when he goes? No, not at all. God's voice breaks through into this man's life with just like a thunderclap. Without warning, he says, front and center before my throne. Give an account of how you used what I graciously entrusted to you. And of course, the rich fool was weighed in the balance and he was found wanting. Now, two men were sitting at the funeral of a wealthy man, and one man leans over and says, hey, 
How much did he leave? And the other guy leans over and says, he left it all. Don't we always? No matter how much it is, we leave it all. So each of us has a choice to make about how we invest the rest of our lives. Will I serve God or will I serve greed? There's a second fact to consider regarding how to be rich toward God. The world's perspective on how to invest our lives is at odds with God's perspective. So you got the world's perspective and God's perspective and they don't, they don't mesh. The world says that life consists of things. But God says that life consists of being rightly related to him and to others. Now, the world would have viewed this man with the rich man uh, as a success. He would have been featured in business magazines as a model to follow. He had not gained his wealth by dishonest or corrupt means. He had worked for it. He had poured money back into the business, and he had done well. He was financially secure. He could now enjoy the good life, good food, fine wine, servants, whatever pleasures money could afford. Isn't that what we all aim for in life? Isn't that why we go to college? So that we can get a good career, make plenty of money, provide the finer things in life for our children, and retire someday with plenty in our investments. What's wrong with that? Well, William Barclay points out that this man's whole attitude was the very reverse of Christianity. Instead of denying himself, he aggressively affirmed himself. Instead of finding his happiness in giving, he tried to conserve it by keeping. His goal was to enjoy life, but in seeking his life, he actually lost it. Now, what was wrong was the man's focus. He had the world's perspective, not God's perspective. And God's perspective is not that riches are inherently wrong. Paul tells us it's the love of money, right? That's the root of all evil, not money itself. Money can be a great good if it is used in line with God's perspective. Now, there are several, several wealthy men in the Bible, uh, such as Job, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Uh, they all enjoyed God's blessing and were godly men. But to, a man, but to a man, they were generous men who lived in light of eternity. As Paul tells Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. That's uh, two or three verses there that are just packed with truth about money, about riches. Paul says the rich person, man, he, he, he calls them um, uncertain. They're here one minute, they can be gone in another minute. He says, trust in God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He says, for those who have money, they are to be rich in good works, They're be, to be out, you know, doing the work of God, and to be generous and ready to share. This is how you become really rich. You're not investing in yourself, you're investing in others. So if you want to be rich toward God, we need to be careful to distinguish between the world's perspective and God's perspective. We are bombarded daily with the world's perspective. 
and inevitably it focuses on ourselves, on this life. God's perspective always takes into account the life to come, what lies ahead. Well, number three, to invest your life successfully, deposit it with Jesus Christ and spend it for his kingdom. Now, you deposit your life and all that you have into the bank of heaven, as it were. Uh, as you withdraw from that account, you consider God's purposes uh, to be glorified in all the earth through his son, Jesus. There is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, this investment begins by depositing your life with Jesus Christ. It means entrusting your eternal destiny to him. All of the good works that you try to do for God, they're not going to begin to pay the debt of your sin when you stand before him. Jesus Christ paid that debt. On the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. In the Greek, the word means paid in full, complete. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus paid that price for you if you will simply put your trust in him. When you stand before heaven and before God one day and he asks you what's in your bank account of heaven, the only answer that's going to suffice is the blood of your son Jesus has paid for all of my sins. That's it. So every investment requires trust and, and that includes depositing your life with Jesus Christ. When you put your money into the bank, uh, you, you trust the officers and the personnel of that bank to, to keep it safe for you, don't you? Now, you can say, well, it's insured, you know, FDIC, uh, so they're going to take care of me. But let me get this straight. You trust uh, an organization that is trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. If you can entrust the government with your money, Guess what? You can trust Jesus with your soul. Then to be rich with God, you must expend what God has given you in line with his kingdom purposes. Now, if you came into a lot of money uh, and you planned to invest it, presumably you would take some time, some thought, some effort to invest it wisely. You might even, you know, consider uh, hiring a financial advisor to give you some insights as to where to put that money. Yet, while most of us are quite careful about investing money for our own purposes, we're usually pretty sloppy when it comes to investing in light of God's eternal kingdom. But as the parable of the talent shows, we need to invest what God has entrusted to us in such a way that it will bring a good return in light of his purpose of being glorified among the nations. Now, does that mean that we can't spend any money on ourselves? Does it mean that we should live at poverty level, drive old cars, only buy used clothes, never spend money for personal enjoyment or pleasure? I, there's very few people that are willing to go that far. But no, that's not what that means. God has blessed us with many things and it's, it's legitimate to enjoy these blessings with thankful hearts. Also, it is prudent and in line with Scripture to provide in a reasonable manner for our future through saving and investing. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, I think that most Christians need to think more carefully about the question, am I really seeking first God's kingdom? 
Am I constantly thinking of the stewardship of, of my life and money in light of what God is doing? Or could the deceitfulness of riches be getting a, just a subtle stronghold on my life? Now, we expect missionaries to live modestly, don't we? We'd probably be bothered if a missionary that we were supporting was getting rich. And yet, we're not bothered if we get rich and live lavishly. Missionary strategist Ralph Winters, he argues that all Christians should live a missionary lifestyle and give the rest to the Lord's work. We should all be concerned about the Great Commission uh, just as concerned as the missionaries are, even if God hasn't called us to go to another culture. I want you to think about this. Jesus did not say, all you missionaries should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but the rest of you can just give a tenth, spend the rest on yourselves, and live as you please. That hit me this week when I thought about that. We certainly don't, you know, hold missionaries to that standard. We hold them to a higher standard. But what about ourselves? Is, is that all we do? We just give a tenth, spend the rest on ourselves, and, 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 and do whatever we please? No, I don't think that's what Christianity is real, really about. Probably most of us need to give some serious time, thought, and effort to the matter of our stewardship in light of God's kingdom priority. To be really rich, Jesus says that we must be rich toward God. And we do that by laying up treasure in heaven. Uh, over there in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you do that, when you put your treasure in heaven, uh, that's where um, moth will not uh, corrupt, right? Dust and moth will not, will not touch it. Paul says that we do this, we treasure up, or we lay up treasure in heaven when we are rich in good works, when we're generous, and when we're ready to share. Now, we should think of ourselves standing before God, giving an account of what he has entrusted to us. Will we be truly rich on that day? Or to some degree are you going to be condemned like the rich man who is more concerned about his produce and his barns? At the end of the movie Schindler's List, the war is over. Mr. Schindler is leaving many Jews that he had saved by employing them in his munitions factory. In fact, he had spent his entire personal fortune to bribe German officials in order to save these people from the death camps. But as he looks at them, he breaks down weeping and he laments, I could have done so much more. Now they try to console him, but he points to his nice car and he says, I could have sold this and saved a few more lives. He pulls out a, a, an expensive fountain pen and a watch and he says, I could have sold these to save another life. Now, Schindler was not a Christian and he wasn't saving souls for eternity. But still, when we think of our Savior's commission to preach the gospel to every creature, we all need to ask ourselves, am I doing enough? We don't want to stand before God and say, I could have done more, although we will. To some degree, we're all going to say that, yes, I could have done more. Are you laying up treasures 
for yourself? Or are you laying up treasures in heaven? That's how you become really rich, truly rich, rich towards God. Let's pray. Father, another challenge is before us, Lord, and it concerns what is precious to most all of us, and that's our, our money, our possessions, and, and how we use them, and how you desire for us to use them. God, there is a bigger picture. Lord, we face a challenge because it goes so much against the grain, against the American way. So, Father, I pray that you would just speak that truth to our hearts. Lord, help us to see where we're at in relationship to you and our money and what you would have us to do with it. Show us that and then give us the courage to follow. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as I said a few minutes ago, in fact, to start, first thing you have to do is invest your life in Christ, right? Um, Paul's very clear that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one can come before God and said, haven't I been good enough? No, you haven't. You've sinned. And that separates you from God. And there's only one thing that can deal with that separation, and that's Christ. He came some 2,000 years ago, born as a baby. You know the story in a manger. Lived a sinless life. Died a criminal's death, bearing the wrath of God against the sin of man. And he did that for you. All you have to do is trust in him. This is another thing we have against us here in, in, the, in, in the United States. We're told to trust in ourselves, to pull up, you know, to be independent, to take care of ourselves, pull ourselves up by our bootstrap. Uh, the Bible uh, the way that you're supposed to relate to God is not independently, but interdependently. Okay, in conjunction with Him, interdependently. If up until if, if up until now you have been living independent of God, you've got to break that. You you've got to see the insufficiency of that. There's no one in here who brings anything to God that would say, "Yes, you deserve to be in heaven." No, you deserve to go to hell. And without Christ, you will. So I'm encouraging you this morning, if you know, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never come to him, you need to listen to that Holy Spirit that's speaking to you now and follow it. Don't run from it, run to it, okay? It's a matter of acknowledging that you're a sinner, right? And then confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. If you're a believer, boy, this message should have touched you at some level. It's a continuum. Nobody's perfect in it. Uh, and, and we're all on that continuum somewhere as to how much we are really doing with our money what God wants us to do. So you need to examine your own heart. God will show you. If you'll just ask him, he'll show you what he wants you to do. How can you invest in eternity which will make you truly rich. Why? Because it will last forever. It's not going to be stuff here on the earth. He may bless you that way as well, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. The wrong is when we put our future in that stuff, in that thing, whatever it is. No, our future is an eternity in heaven. Let's use what God gives us to glorify him, to expand his kingdom here on earth. What a difference we could make. Uh, in, the in, in eternity, in the lives of many, many people if we would just do what God asks us to do with our money.
Now, if you'd like to join your church, I'm going to ask you to come up here and just, uh, as soon as we have, we'll have a song, Ruby's going to lead us, and uh, just let me know. We'll see about getting you going with us here at First Baptist. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. If the Lord is speaking to you in any way, uh, you just go ahead and come forward and share with me what it is. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.